This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Oh, yes. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris with a second Pfizer vaccine brain. His name is Hayden Winks. Aiden, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I remember my first day, maybe 24 hours after the the second dose, and I felt like I was like a zombie walking across. But after that, you feel you should feel fine, and we're on to the next one. Yeah, I'm just glad the world gets to see me, what I'm like when I have a, a semi-working brain on a live stream that's out there for the universe to watch. Uh, I'm excited. We're almost fully two weeks removed from the NFL draft. Uh, It feels like we know exactly who these teams are, where they're going to be. Super excited for the summer ahead, where we get to react to news and developments and practices and coach quotes and all that good stuff. But for now, Hayden, we are still kind of digesting what these teams look like after these teams were honest to us in their roster construction. And because of that, you have gone to the lab, turned off all the lights, figured out the algorithms, and come up with some player projections. Why, just first of all, why are these player projections important for us? I think it's just, first of all, it's a really good process to go through just to kind of get a feel for how players did last year, which players are bound to regress, and then kind of how, like, the big things is a, a rookie comes in and he's a wide receiver. How does he affect the other people in the offense? Is there enough targets to even go around to keep all these players afloat? And then just, like, some coaching changes, you have to – factor in all that stuff. But I, I do think that people kind of look at projections as this like end all be all. This is like what the analytics are saying. It is not like that. Like obviously there's a big component that is analytics, but a lot of this is just me saying, well, I think Jamar Chase is just better than T Higgins and that mm. he should have a higher target share. And it is not based off of analytics. We're just kind of going over. You can have a, I think it's good while you're doing projections that come from an analytics background, understand how all these things work, but a lot of this is just biases. So um, that's the first thing. And the second thing is projections doesn't mean rankings, two totally different things. Cause when I'm doing projections, projection is kind of a median outcome. But when we're doing the best ball mania, guess what? If you come in 50th percentile on best ball mania, are you going to be tweeting out your team? No, <laughs> you're not going to be tweeting out your team. You know, who is the guy that finished in the top five. And in order to come in uh, the top five in best ball mania, you're shooting for ceilings. So my player projections aren't shooting for ceilings. It's just a good process for me to go. And I'm like, all right, how many targets is Brandon Ayuk actually going to get this year? Is it even possible for him to have a top 10 wide receiver outcome? That's where the process comes out. It's not an end-all be-all. So projections aren't just number-based. I mean, there's some bias baked into it. I mean, you have to make some decisions. You have to make some choices as to which players you feel are getting the most targets. I think that's incredibly important. You mentioned rankings. We're going to have plenty of discussions on rankings, on sleepers, on you know 
players that are drafted way later than they should be later on this summer. Today, though, again, the focus is on projections. Hayden sent them over to me. At some point, they will most likely be on your underdog app when you are drafting for these Best Ball Mania uh, games and any one-offs you might have as well. Hayden, I took a look over this. I know that you did as well. We came to the party today, that's this, with 10 important projections for players, for teams, for situations that we thought we might ask questions about, you know, dive into just a little bit more. Uh, you want to kick us off today? Yeah, I was hoping that you're going to come to the table and tell me some uh, some of the projections that I have wrong. Because like we were saying, I there's, just, there's just some things where I'm like, well, I don't know how many games this guy's starting and hopefully that you can help me out. But to kickstart this, I'm going to go over the Bengals wide receivers. And I looked last year and I wrote a column called Fantasy Splits to Know. And I have basically two uh, stats I'm going to be referencing a lot, like PPR points per game. And then also fantasy usage or expected PPR points per game. And what that is, is basically just how how many fantasy points you would expect a player to get based off of how many targets they got, what part of the field those targets were on, how many carries they got on. So last year, the Bengals with Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and A.J. Green all averaged between 14 and 15 and a half PPR points per game. A.J. Green did nothing with those. He was one of the most inefficient players in the, in the league. T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd were kind of somewhere in, in between both wide receiver threes, we'll say. What do we do with Jamar Chase? Because hmm. I think Jamar Chase basically takes that A.J. Green role, but just does way more with it. And I'm kind of curious if T. Higgins is going to take a slight hit because to me, I think that that T. Higgins might be a better boundary receiver, a uh, deep threat receiver, and Jamar Chase is going to be like the guy that sees eight to ten targets per game. What are your thoughts? I'm excited for the Bengals offense. It's it's going to be better than it was last year. We got like a 10-game sample of Joe Burrow as a team starting quarterback. And so even when you cite fantasy points per game or you cite like a season total for fantasy points it's baked in with like ryan finley and the other people brandon allen that they throw in at quarterback when really maybe even those just 10 games is what we should focus on with with these wide receivers but you asked what we should do with this pass catching group and namely jamar chase the public right now is very high on jamar chase on underdog they're drafting him as the wide receiver 20 hayden the wide receiver freaking 20 and that stands out to me because last year, when you look at fancy points per game, Tyler Boyd was the wide receiver 34 last season, being drafted as the wide receiver 38 this year. T. Higgins, the wide receiver 36, being drafted as the wide receiver 26. So when you consider all that, if I want a piece of this offense, the best value to me is Tyler Boyd. Yeah, Tyler Boyd in games with Joe Burrow, he averaged 16.2 PPR points per game. And that's the one thing we have to kind of differentiate. It's underdog, it's half PPR, not full PPR. Um, and then T. Higgins was at 14.7. So you're right, Tyler Boyd was a bigger producer than T. Higgins. I do think that Jamar Chase does more within 10, 15 yards of the line of scrimmage compared to the ghost of A.J. Green. And that Tyler Boyd especially with Joe Mixon involved, isn't going to get as many checkdowns. I feel like Joe Burrow doesn't need to throw seven-yard slants as much just because he has Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase. So I have them projected for uh, Jamar Chase, 20% target share, T. Higgins, 20% target share, and then Tyler Boyd, 19% target share. And then I just think that Jamar Chase is the best of the three. Um, But I would draft him as a 20th. Yeah, to the point where you understand that he's being drafted 18 spots ahead of Tyler Boyd at his own position group, not to me. 
Yeah, I have 11, 11 receiver gap between those. I think that T. Higgins is probably the guy that, unfortunately, I'm going to be possibly out on, which sucks because he's pretty good. And yeah. I thought he was underrated last year. And I, I just don't know if if Joe Burrow can like truly have Joe Mixon as like a top 10 running back, possibly, and like three top 36 receivers. That's asking a lot for a guy coming off a torn ACL. Yeah, if we can expand on what Joe Burrow and Tyler Boyd did in those 10 games, Boyd in a 16-game sample with Joe Burrow would have had 139 targets, 110 receptions, over 1,100 yards, and five touchdowns. Again, if I'm trying to stack late or try to find value, a Joe Burrow and Tyler Boyd, be with a Joe Mixon potentially earlier, who we'll talk about a little bit later on, is is one that I'm, I'm definitely interested in. And again, we have the whole summer to dive into very deep into all of these topics we're covering today. Little surface level, but I know a lot of you find an edge as you rightly should in drafting early, and so definitely going to call attention to a lot of discrepancies across the projections and ADPs at the moment over on Underdog. Um, there's no better place to start, Hayden, than at the 101. Christian McCaffrey is back in our lives. The return of the true number one overall pick. I have no qualms, no issues with people out there drafting. Christian McCaffrey. In fact, when he was on the field last year, he averaged about five fantasy points per game more than the running back two in that category. But I do wonder and do question Hayden if he's going back into the exact same scenario where he was the fantasy superstar with us in 2019. Because when I try to dive in to figure out what this Joe Brady, Matt Rule offense is like, the answer I get is no. It's it's not the same offense, especially from the receiving game. Last year, Panthers running backs were amassed 18% of that team's targets, okay, for the Panthers. Compare that to 25% when Christian McCaffrey was a juggernaut in 2019. I mean, that's a drop from 151 down to 94 last season. So that's just part one, Hayden. Do you have – I mean, again, we're all taking Christian McCaffrey number one overall. But is it to the point where we should expect – the giant Grand Canyon between him and the number two player. Yeah, I think I have him right now. Him and Dalvin Cook kind of in a tier by themselves at the very top. Um, just because Christian McCaffrey in his three healthy games last year, and this is, I hate using small sample sizes like right. this, but in those three healthy games, his expected fantasy points per game were 22.9, 22.6, and then 28. So that is not where he was the year before. He was like closer to like averaging like 25, 26, 27. I think it would be more real, realistic for him to ha- average like 21 fantasy points per game, which is still worthy of the first overall pick. But I'm with you. I don't see him just coming off of the injuries. There's maybe the offense is just a little bit better, but they don't have to force feed McCaffrey as much where he's not going to be the record breaking Christian McCaffrey. But even if he does regress, he's still worthy of the one one So, I'm trying to combine, you know, those running back touches and targets and opportunities last year. So Mike Davis had 165 carries and 70 targets. So that's what, about 230 opportunities. And you can add on Chris McCaffrey's 78. So let's say like that's 310. All right. So it's 310 for the entire two top backs of the Panthers in, in 2020. Alone in 2019, Chris McCaffrey had 424. Like yeah. there's just a drastic difference and the amount of talent and how it's used to me with Joe Brady at the helm. And now that you also have, you know, Robbie Anderson had 136 targets last season. DJ Moore had 118 targets last season. Curtis Samuel had 97 targets last season, along with 41 carries 
last year. So again, I don't know if it's just everything's going to flow through Christian McCaffrey. I also think from like a, a winning perspective, it shouldn't throw flow through Christian McCaffrey. Again, he should still be the one one but it shouldn't be as drastic as it was in the past. Yeah, I'm right there with you. The as the the Panthers expert, I have to get your opinion here. I was trying to figure out how Joe Brady is going to use these three receivers. And I'm going to be assuming that Terrace Marshall beats out David Moore in a competition. Maybe it's not week one, maybe it's week four, but by the end of the year, I think that Terrence, Terrace Marshall is going to be in the starting lineup. Who's going to be the uh, the slot receiver of these three? Who's going to be the guy that's winning within five yards of the line of scrimmage? And is Robbie Anderson going to become the deep threat, or is that going to be DJ Moore? What, how do you think – who's going to line up at X, slot receiver? Who's going to be the deep threat? I'm trying to look it up like in real time right now, but I remember asking the same question last year, wondering who was going to play that quote-unquote Justin Jefferson role in a Joe Brady-like offense, and the answer was all of them. I mean, all of them rotated around like 18 to 23%, I think, in the slot. If I'm remembering correctly, I think Curtis Samuel played the most. Um, and now that he's gone, then maybe you do replace him with Terrace Marshall, who played that role, who also played on the outside. That's something that's really important and why I thought a third wide receiver was highest on their priority list or very high. It's because David Moore is not interchangeable like that. You know, now when they put out these three wide receivers, you can have. DJ, who's great on those yards after catch opportunities. You have Robbie, who has transformed into that one to 10 yard receiver, as, as well as, you know, those slot fades. And then Terrace Marshall can do that too. It's an exciting group. I wish I had just one answer because we know they're like, they're like a, a target sponge in the middle of the field. But I just, I think it's going to be closer to what we saw last year versus one player playing like 60, 65% of their snaps in the slot this year. Yeah. Just for the record, Terrace Marshall in 2019 with Joe. 35% of his snaps were in the slot. And that was with Justin Jefferson hogging him at 98% of his own uh, snaps were in the slot. So I can see Terrace Marshall lining up in the slot. But I think, like you said, it's going to be kind of mismatch driven. I think that all three of those guys are going to end up kind of rotating around. Um, I, the one thing I will note is Robbie Anderson. I mean, first of all, Robbie Anderson's ADP makes no sense to me. It needs to be like five receiver spots higher. He had a higher A dot with Sam Darnold, and I wonder if there's anything to that or not. Um, but yeah, we have to figure out who's going to be playing in the slot, who's going to be leading in targets. Um, but I think either way, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are rock solid picks right now. Yep, totally agree. And again, we'll hear more from Joe Brady, from Matt Rule, especially when training camp opens, especially when you get preseason games, we figure out where the, the David Moore and Terrace Marshall dynamic is, because that's one to me that if Terrace just claims it immediately and stays healthy, he is an absolute steal in every single platform that you use right now. All right, down two, eight more to go. What's next, Aiden? All right, Josh, I have no idea what to do here. Jaguars backfield. What, what should I do? I have right now Travis Etienne, 9.2 carries per game. James Robinson at 8.0. So pretty close. Still with Travis Etienne leading the backfield and then Etienne playing most of the passing down uh, snaps. I'm very confident in the latter. I just don't know how to divvy up the touches and it's specifically the goal line touches because obviously James Robinson is a much bigger back and they he mentioned Carlos Hyde too. I don't have Carlos Hyde projected for anything just because like I can't do that. Um, but I think James Robinson is going to be maybe a little bit involved. What do you think? Well, I went back and I was shocked that James Robinson only played about 62% of the snaps last year. I thought it'd be much more when just thinking back to the 2020 season and like even when they were bad, 
he was getting like force fed the football, right? Well, I think he missed the last like two games. Okay. Yeah. So th- that probably was a determining factor in that. Um, look, I can't get out of my head what Urban Meyer told us immediately after the draft that, hey, I wanted to take Kadarius Tony, and instead I pivoted over to Travis Etienne. And then he kept mentioning Carlos Hyde as well. Uh, look, from a team building perspective, having a productive back in James Robinson who didn't cost you anything, was an undrafted free agent, is like exactly how you should build the position unless you like go and get one of the greats at the position. But that wasn't Urban. That wasn't Trent Baalke, you know? So they just, they want their guys. It's it's pretty clear. But nailing down this Travis Etienne role is going to be very important. And again, I, I bring up the fact that they brought up Tony and then that he brought up Percy Harvin when comparing Travis Etienne to someone. And I'm such a lunatic that I went back and looked up Percy Harvin's roles while at Miami under Urban Meyer. And I want to, I want to say like, this is a Daryl Bevel offense, but it's going to have shades of, of Urban Meyer. Like it's pretty clear that Urban Meyer is the decision maker here. I mean, the Tim Tebow factor just heightens that even more, but back at Florida with Percy Harvin in his sophomore season, he had 83 carries in his junior season. He had 70 carries that goes along with 59 receptions and 40 receptions. So not getting like a hundred in either category, I think is up there for Travis Etienne, maybe like 50 to 60 in, in, in both categories, but that truly makes him like a offensive weapon, Hayden, and not a running back or a wide receiver, right? So, I mean, that would say that my nine carries per game is too high. And I think so. So do you think, okay, just straight up, who do you think leads this backfield in carries? Not not reception. We all, we all agree Travis Etienne is going to play every single passing down. Carries and then red zone touches. Do we think that James Robinson, just from our eyes, is good enough to when he gets the first opportunity to hold off anyone and not look awful in comparison to everyone else? I think he's good enough. Yeah, I, well, I thought that he did, he doesn't have the top speed. Like, definitely does not have the top speed to like be a high ceiling back. But I thought that he was pretty decent bet- between the tackles, and I thought he had good hands. But that doesn't matter because Travis Etienne's like already locked that job down. Yeah, I, I have it. Etienne and Robinson as like pretty close with the amount of carries they're going to yeah. get. But the the I don't know if to take the Percy Harvin stuff as a compliment or as a red siren uh, around Travis Etienne because he's going like low rb twos i think that's kind of fair um well, but when he, you look when you look back to just his time at florida and then what they started you know recruiting at ohio state which i think we actually should pay attention to because certain types come out of these colleges all the time and it's because even when ryan day took over and whoever else was calling plays like they recruit certain styles and you know they had curtis Samuel who was taking running back snaps and playing wide receiver paris campbell was doing a ton of stuff that was just yards after catch capabilities. And again, I think this is one of those teams that looked across the league and said, oh, we like Debo Samuel. We like some of these other players that can take a manufactured touch and create 7, 12, 17 yards with them. They, If anything, this proves to me that they don't view LaVisca Chenault in that role. Yeah, that was my other big takeaway with the Jaguars. We'll have to hit, hit on him later, but I think he's being overdrafted. I, I don't know why they don't like him. Like that scouting report you just laid out, it was LaVisca Chenault. That was LaVisca Chenault right. at Colorado. He was, I mean, he barely saw targets beyond 10 yards uh, past the line of scrimmage. He was all manufactured touches. So I don't know why he doesn't like him as much. But I, I do think that the Travis Etienne quotes after 
screams, all right, be careful with your LaVisca Chenault shares. Moving on to the tight end position, a position that we absolutely hated last year, Hayden Winks. Uh, your projections really stood out to me because only two tight ends went over 150 fantasy points last season. In your projections, you have three expected this year. I mean, that's a drastic decline for a position that produced five of 150-point tight ends in 2019 and 2018. So, hey, what has happened to this position? Is there an answer here? Is, is it targets being funneled in, in different places? Is it a just a worse talent group at the tight end position? Um, because something drastically has changed, and while we can continue to prop up late-round tight ends, it's like if you don't get Travis Kelsey or someone else that breaks out, then you're kind of like drawing blanks here a little bit. Yeah, so it looked like the last five years in sharp football stats had target rates by position and then also like yards per target by position. And there wasn't really that much of a difference across those last five years. There's a slight dip last year. Just I, I think that there's two things that are going on here. I think the, the first thing is the tight ends are just not that good right now. I think like, la- like the last five, 10 years, you had like peak Gronk, Jason Witten was balling out like uh, Antonio Gates had some big years and you're not, you don't have as many of those guys. I think that's just like bad luck of just how the position's gone the last couple of years. And I think the other thing is receivers have just gotten better and there's more slot receivers and teams are using slot receivers instead. So I am I'm, I'm do wonder if we're going to start seeing the target rate for tight ends dip a little bit. I don't also, the other thing is I don't know enough about defenses to know this, but there's a, been a kind of a change between cover three defenses and cover two defenses. I don't know if that has something to do with this as well. Um, to me, I'm just chalking this up as just like the, the tight end talent just hasn't been that good the last couple of years and nothing more than that. But I, I could be totally wrong. Well, and we potentially have seen like the Valley and it might just like slowly creep towards what we saw in 2018, 2019. Just for reference, these are the three tight ends you have projected over 150 points. Travis Kelsey in a tier of his own, basically, and Darren Waller and George Kittle basically side by side. So excluding those three names, Hayden, maybe some that you think one, let's give one each that we think could eclipse into that top three mark. I mean, after that, you have Mark Andrews at 145, just under that 150 point mark. But one, we know that unless they change their style with Greg Roman, they're probably still going to be among the last teams in terms of pass attempts this year. And Rashad Bateman just doing work in the slot and over the middle of the field might hinder Mark Andrews a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I wanted to rank or, or project Mark Andrews for more, but it was just kind of tough to fit because I think that Rashad Bateman kind of does some of the similar things that Mark Andrews was asked to do the last couple seasons. The name I'll throw out there, um, outside of Kyle Pitts, who we'll talk talk about in a second, is TJ Hawkinson just yep. because that's how bad that receiving depth chart is and they're just going to kind of have no choice. And I think that TJ Hawkinson has, I don't want to say he's disappointed, just because it's so early in his career, but I think that he can be a little more explosive with the ball in his hands than we've seen. And maybe this is the year where he kind of has that breakout season. I would say that he has the opportunity and he clearly has the talent. And those are like the two things that most of the other guys just don't have. Yeah. How many Titans across the league can you say, Hey, he's the most talented player of his pass catching group. Yeah. And you can say that with TG Hawkinson in Detroit. I'll throw out one is Dallas Goddard. I know that Jalen hurts again, it's another one of these teams that isn't going to be even league average in terms of pass attempts this year. But we've been waiting for this moment when Dallas Goddard is the only tight end on that team. Zacherts is still on there. I highly doubt that that's going to be the case in week one. Um, I, Dallas Goddard, 
I think has a talent to be a top five, top three scoring tight end uh, in fantasy football. It's just the opportunity. Hopefully it's going to be there. And maybe they run, you know, maybe they run less 12 personnel with Jalen Hurts out there on the field because it's not going to be the same offense, obviously, with a new play caller, a new head, new coaching staff um, than we previously seen. Yeah, he he's one of the other guys, and we don't have to talk about him right now, but Tyler Higby's back. He's got a chance. He's got a chance. <laughs> Quarterback upgrade, less tight end competition. He at least has the upside to be a top five tight end. Can I don't throw like a, him like that? I'm going to throw a totally random name at you, too. Okay. And we're going to get B-Mac to clip this if it turns out to be the case, uh, I don't know, week seven. Adam Troutman. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, haven't, you haven't projected his tight end 15. Uh, I mean, with Jared Cook gone, with all those tight ends gone, they didn't add a single really receiver. Adam Troutman at the tight end position could be a surprise top seven scorer at his spot. Again, a discussion we'll have much more in depth later on. Josh, real quick, his ADP is like tight end 24 or something. So I'm garbage. way above cons- uh, consensus on Troutman. I think I think his ADP is going to climb. So so draft now, get get him get Troutman right now. Yeah, if you want to dive right back into those late round tight ends, Adam Troutman is your guy. What's up next, Aiden Wings? Let's stick with New Orleans. How many sure. games is Jameis Winston going to start? I have him projected for 12 of the 17 games with Taysom Hill with five. And the biggest thing is. Uh, Nick Underhill, who covers the Saints probably better than anybody, he believes it's going to be Jameis Winston. They didn't give Jameis Winston this massive contract. They gave Taysom Hill more money, but I think they watched Taysom Hill and said, nope, can't do that for a full season. That doesn't mean that Taysom Hill is not going to sprinkle in. I still think he's going to have red zone touches. He's going to be used as a quarterback, apparently uh, full-time this offseason. But I just think that Jameis Winston is just better than Taysom Hill. So I have him 12-5 to over Taysom Hill for starts this year. What's your thoughts? I guess my answer is, if he's just clearly better, why didn't they play him last year? I mean, Drew Brees missed four entire games, and Jameis Winston had 11 passing attempts. What the hell? Like, how can we then say, oh, Sean Payton has now had a few months to think about it, and he's just going to start Jameis Winston for 12 games or whatever you project it? It's, it's one that we have zero clue. We have zero yeah. clue. And if it's any indication by their actions, like if you just put two – nameless players on a piece of paper and you say one's getting paid more money. One started more games last year. One is apparently beloved and he's the one who's been going to, you know, production teams before games and saying he's the quarterback of the future. That's Taysom Hill. That that's not Jameis Winston. And look, I'm not trying to cape for Taysom Hill there, but (laughs) I, I actually think he performed better as a quarterback last season than I kind of, expected them to he, again he's not your typical you know drew Brees ass passer for sure but i don't know if he did enough last year hayden for sean to sit back and say like oh well that's not what i expected i think it's probably exactly what he expected but your point about nick underhill saying that james is going to be the star i mean nick is incredibly plugged in so if that's the case we just have nothing to base it on yeah, and th- that's why I only have Jameis as 12 games. I, I can see Jameis starting, and then just he throws too many interceptions, and then he- in comes Taysom Hill. Um, and even if Jameis Winston is starting games, that doesn't mean that he's playing 90% of the snaps. Like, there's chances that like Taysom, Taysom Hill is in there for like a lot of these sub packages. Um, so it, it's a very it's a very complicated team to project because the two quarterbacks could not be totally di- like, totally Correct. different. Alvin Kamara 
he's either going to be smashing ADP or he's a complete fade based off of which quarterback is because Taysom Hill does not throw the ball down uh, to his running backs and Jameis Winston clearly will. So it is extremely complicated. I, I just think that uh, last off season, the saints paid Taysom Hill, this ridiculous contract. Yes. And that's, and that's why they had to play him last year. And those, those starts because they already gave him this money. And then this year they're like, ah, well we shouldn't have done that. Let's just rock with, with, with Jameis Winston this time. Last time we saw Jameis Winston as a starter, he was the quarterback five in fantasy points per game. Now that was with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Like you just have Michael Thomas on this team. Uh, I know we're going to talk about this again, but is it absurd to exit a draft right now with both Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston on your roster? I think so. I think it's absurd. Uh, the one thing that's not absurd, here's a stack for you. You go Michael Thomas, who's kind of at a discount, Troutman, and then Jameis. And if you get peak Jameis, mm. Michael Thomas is hitting, and Troutman is very cheap right now. And I think as the offseason gets uh, closer and we learn, oh, Jameis is getting first-team reps in, in, in training camp, I think his ADP will climb a little bit. And I think that this will probably be the cheapest you can get a Saints passing attack. The one thing is if Taysom Hill starting, like I'm not sure if I want to stack him with, with basically yeah. anybody. I think that I'm just kind of out. I think Michael Thomas could still be like a fringe wide receiver one, but I don't know. Let's go with uh, another team that is replacing a lot of names. Uh, the New England Patriots, Hayden, basically replaced their entire offense. And we don't seem to care. Like the, <laughs> the drafters out there do not seem to care that this isn't the 2020 version of this Patriots team. I mean, they're basically acting like the Patriots offense is the Detroit Lions or the Houston Texans. And it's just like a stay away from me. I, I don't want to touch you. When, in fact, Hayden, I don't think this team wins less than, I don't know, seven games, eight games this year. They're in s- such a better roster construction than they were last year. I mean, Nelson Aguilar, who they invested in quite heavily, let's not forget that, averaged the same number of fantasy points last season as Marvin Jones, T. Higgins, DJ Chark, Debo Samuel, Michael Gallup, Hollywood Brown, being drafted way, way, way later. And if we, we, if we rewind, you know, Josh McDaniels when he was with Tom Brady in, in 2019, again, remove because every single one of their actions, Hayden, is pointing to, hey, 2020 is what we don't want to be at all. We want to be more like what we were previous to that. Again, in 2019, this offense was first in pace, third in overall plays, fifth in pass attempts. So while they say Cam Newton is a starter right now, they just took a quarterback at 15 overall. That is not a runner. That is not necessarily mobile. That is best at hitting open receivers down the field. And while they'll have to change the way that their offense is called, hey, guess what? Josh McDaniel showed he could do that last year. And I bet they go closer to what they had been the previous decade versus what we saw in 2020. But we're still considering them from a a value perspective of what they showed last season. And that's wrong. Yeah, well, I think people are just like, I don't know who's going to be starting at quarterback. I don't know who's going to be playing wide receiver. I don't know who their running backs is. And they just like completely avoid the situation. So let's let's help some people out right now. Last year, 2% of their pass attempts were in 12 personnel. 2%. That was dead last. This year, they're going to be, what, first, second, third? I mean, they just signed Johnny Smith, $31 million guaranteed. Hunter Henry, $25 million guaranteed. So the first step, we have to answer, which one is going to play in line and which one's going to play in the slot? Last year, Hunter Henry played more slot than Johnny Smith, but I think it's probably going to be the other way around, right? I think so. 
I think so. I, I love where you're going with this because if, if we can like view it from a team building perspective, two tight ends means they're going to run with tempo. Like that's why you have two players at the same position who can be flexible. Like what you're talking about it's for mismatches. Well, the best way to take advantage of a mismatch is to not substitute. It's to then, you know, trot your team out there in certain alignments that puts a microscope on one of the defensive players that you want to maximize in every single snap. And so they're not going to be what they were last year of let's minimize all these offensive snaps. Let's run the football because our defense sucks last year. One, the defense should be better again this year. And two, they're going to throw the ball. I bet prediction here, top 10 and pass attempts in the league this year. I added eight percentage points in their pass rates from last year to my projections this year. And that's with some games with Cam Newton starting. So if Mac Jones earns the full the full reps, that's going to even be higher than the 8% that I have. So then part two becomes, all right, they're in 12 personnel a lot, and specifically a lot of their passing, passing reps, I, I believe. Which two receivers are going to be on the field? And I think for one is for sure Nelson Aguilar. They gave him $16 million guaranteed. Yep. Kendrick Bourne only got $5 million guaranteed. So I think that what's going to happen here is it's going to be for the second receiver in 12 personnel, it's going to be Kendrick Bourne versus Jacoby Myers versus Nikhil Harry. And I, I think Nikhil Harry is on the trade block. I don't think it's going to be him. I think Jacoby Myers, who's going to be the slot receiver in three receiver sets, is going to be battling with Kendrick Bourne in 12 personnel. So if I were going to be ranking them, it's for sure Nelson Aguilar, one, among the receivers. And then like Jacoby Myers, two. And then Kendrick Bourne, who's kind of just like a do-all, I'll-do-the-dirty-work type of player. So um, that's how I'm viewing the offense. I hope maybe that helps clear up this picture because, I mean, it's complicated. It's like one of the most complicated complicated teams. Nelson Aguilar is being drafted around Gabriel Davis, who's the wide receiver three on his team. Rondell Moore, we have no idea how much he's going to play. Just ahead of Elijah Moore, just ahead of T.Y. Hilton just ahead of Henry Ruggs. Like, I do not love Nelson Aguilar as a player, but again, the investment that this team made, he's their wide receiver one, and he's being drafted in the 11th round right now. To me, that's, if we again remove the name, if we scrub the name out, Nelson Aguilar should, because we, I don't know if you agree with me, they're going to throw the football a lot this year, and I also think Mac Jones is going to win that job, and I can't wait to watch him behind that offensive line in preseason action, and hopefully he wins it outright. And if not... Again, we talked about it. Cam started the year nicely. I think he even like put up, didn't he like attempt 40 passes or something like week two or something? Yeah. Like it, something's going to change. I think that this team just doesn't want to be what they put on the field in 2020. And it's more going to be, again, the previous five years and the values need to change or else we're going to find a lot of values. Yeah, I, I'm moving Nelson Aguilar's target projection up after this conversation. Let's it, do it. Like, it's it's the money. It also, I'm looking at the depth chart. He's the guy that wins vertically. Kendrick Bourne doesn't really do that. Jacoby Myers doesn't do that. And Nikhil Harry isn't fast enough to do that. So, like, if they if it's first and 15 and they have to design something downfield, it's going to be Nelson Aguilar in that role, too. So, uh, I think he's probably the value here. All right. I think we're over halfway. What's next for you, Hayden? Let's go with the 49ers. And it's a very similar conversation as the Patriots because you have two totally different types of quarterbacks. I don't know how many games are going to each is going to start. So that's the first question for you, Josh. Trey Lance, I have him projected for 14 games. To me, that is very generous. That is very generous just because, I mean, there's, there's some downside risk with this situation. If he like isn't ready and he has to get, Benched, benched or like if you got hurt or if Jimmy G 
wins the the job in week one. The, the 49ers roster is good. And what if Jimmy G's like three and one? Like they're not going to bench him. So um, I feel generous giving Trey Lance 14 games. That's just because he's a total baller. But what, what are your thoughts? You know how I feel. I think Trey Lance is going to earn this job immediately. I don't think you make this move despite what they said in that first press conference because immediately after that, Hayden, Cal Shanahan basically said, well, I don't believe that anymore, that like Jimmy G is going to be our quarterback here in, in 2021, that we think we can be better, we think we'd be healthier at the position. But really what this makes me know is that gone are the days are Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard. So immediately, Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel become extreme values. I mean, Brandon Ayuk last year, I think he was like the wide receiver 16 or 17 in fantasy points per game. He's being drafted as the wide receiver 27. And all the way down the list, wide receiver 36 for DB, Debo Samuel. Give me all of that. Here's my, here's my issue, Josh. I think Trey Lance is a baller, but I think Kyle Shanahan isn't going to run nearly as many pass attempts with Trey Lance. Like That's my, my problem when you're trying to stack these guys. Trey Lance threw the ball like 17 times at North Dakota State. I think that this defense is all right. I think that the 49ers just in general aren't going to throw enough pass attempts to, to keep up George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk at ADP if Trey Lance is the starter. They're, not, they're just going to not pass the ball nearly as much as they did last year. All right. In your projections, I cannot believe I didn't catch this until now. You have both Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel projected with fewer points than Jarvis Landry. So here's a situation. What are we doing? Last last year when all three were healthy, all of them were averaging like 11 points per game. Like 11 points per game. It, there's not enough volume. The 49ers are so run heavy that when you have three established dudes, there's just not enough targets to go around unless they're just going to rip it with Trey Lance. And that would like that would be pretty surprising. That's a this is a dual threat twenty one year old guy. We know the Browns are never going to rip it. And last year was when Jarvis Landry was quote unquote the wide receiver one with Odell missing so much time. And the Browns might be as good as last year, but I, I doubt that they're going to be better than last year. The 49ers are just going to be better in general. I think Trey Lance is a better football player than Jimmy Garoppolo, and that Kyle cannot wait to unleash these with Jimmy or or without him. Uh, he's been clamoring for this type of of a quarterback, quarter, a setting. I'm so excited. And I understand, like, without George Kittle, that is massive. And we're still drafting George Kittle as a top two, top three tight end. And, him, and like, him immediately becomes probably the go-to pass catcher of this group. But I also think it's a situation, Hayden, where they're just going to score more points and more touchdowns as well. And so, like, Debo, I think, had, like, an average depth of target of 2.2 yards last year. That's going up. He we forget just how talented Debo Samuel is. All these teams are searching for their own Debo Samuel, and they're not going to be able to find it because he verges on uncommon talent for the NFL, I think. This is my problem. We say the same thing about George Kittle and Debo Samuel. So, like, how does Brandon Ayuk do it? Like, how often do we have three fantasy viable pass catchers in an offense that is going to be top, bottom five, bottom ten in pass attempts? Like, it's the math makes it hard. The one thing is the upside for these guys is just astronomical, especially because Debo gets hurt a lot. George Kittle misses time. If one of the guys gets removed from the offense, it is Yahtzee for the other two guys. But when all of them are healthy, I'm looking at the numbers, they were all averaging like 12 points per game. And like that's that's not wide receiver two, wide receiver three numbers. 
Uh, so we better hope that Trey Lance is an absolute savage and the 49ers scoring like five, six, seven more points per game. I haven't projected for three or four more points per game than last year. Uh, maybe that's what I need to knock up and there's going to be way better than that. What if they're just a top three team in the NFC? I, that's very conceivable to me, mm-hmm. you know, and they just score a boatload of points and play good defense and, you know, have a jumbled backfield that is still productive, but then just have Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle post good production. I'm excited for this 49ers team, man. I am I'm too. So excited. I'm too. I'm too. Let's go to the Tennessee Titans. Um, talk about replacing players. Um, who was replacing the tight end seven in fancy points per game last year in John U. Smith and the wide receiver 24 in Corey Davis? I mean, really, if we just left our bias at the door, Corey Davis, more often than not, should have been a weekly starter in fantasy football, yet we just didn't think of him as that until probably like week eight or or week nine, again, because bias gets involved in these things. Uh, and I asked that because, one, I, I wouldn't say that like there were one-for-one one replacements that were brought in like there are with other teams for, for players of this significance for their roster. I mean, sure, we can throw in Josh Reynolds at, at wide receiver, but certainly not the draft capital that Corey Davis cost and – Certainly not the draft capital or I should say contract capital that was invested in, in Josh Reynolds. And I mainly ask this, Hayden, because it's very clear, and not just last year, but the year before, the Titans are very much in like the cohesion bandwagon. Like they just want to bring everything back together and just keep going exactly how it was. I mean, when you hire from within, that's the message that you're deploying to your roster and to everyone on the outside. Again, Johnny Smith tight end seven last year, Corey Davis, wide receiver 24, Tannehill, Brian Tannehill, quarterback 10 in fancy points per game last year. And you have him at quarterback 16. He's being drafted around in that territory as well. So I'm assuming in your projections, you should expect this Titans seem to be worse. Yeah. OC downgrade, wide receiver downgrade, tight end downgrade. And Ryan Tannehill has been like, somebody that we've just been clamoring for that the regression is going to come for him eventually. And I think it's going to be this year. I mean, I haven't projected for five fewer points per game, two fewer plays just because they're not going to be able to stay on the field. Uh, I have their neutral pass rate a little higher just because I think that the defense is also worse. So they're going to probably have to pass the ball. But like you mentioned, second in available target, uh, they're missing 48% of their targets from last year. And they replace that with Josh Reynolds, who has been a backup. And Des Fitzpatrick, who is a 23-year-old rookie uh, who averaged less than four catches per game in college last year. So I don't know what to tell you. I, I think the Titans are probably going to go um, – they're probably going to have the biggest drop-off from last year to this next year, just in like offensive production, just team in general. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, all those type of things. But I do think that it opens the door for A.J. Brown to smash, obviously. I'm like a 30% target share, and that might be too low. And then Anthony Ferkser, who I gave the same target share, 17% as what Johnny Smith had last year. And he's popping in the projections. I have him as a tight end 11. I think that's the, kind of the guy that's going to be the winner amongst a team that's probably going to be full of like losers this year, honestly. The train makes a timely appearance with Anthony Ferkser. You have him as the tight end 12 in your projections. Meanwhile, Josh Reynolds as the wide receiver 66. I mean, I agree with you. I, I think the Titans are going to be worse in general, and mainly Hayden, I think it's going to be in the red zone. Like we always talked about, you know, Arthur Smith being like a top five play caller in terms of red zone efficiency. Ryan Tannehill is incredible in that area. They rarely turn the football over there. 
And so while, you know, we have seen so many teams try to replicate someone who leaves and replace them with someone who learned underneath them, uh, it just often doesn't work out. And there's like a reason why Arthur Smith is, is so good at what he did and, and was able, despite, you know, a low volume being so efficient with this offense. And it was mainly also because Ryan Tannehill was playing exceedingly well. Um, it's just something where typically where we see a player replaced, we get super amped to, you know, draft the player that is filling in for them. And again, a tight end 12 projection for Anthony Ferkser. Yeah, I'm, I'm in on that if I miss out on the early tight ends. But at wide receiver, you mentioned it. Hopefully, A.J. Brown can stay healthy. And if he doesn't, Hayden, like what the hell is going to happen to this passing offense? Yeah, just find the Titans, win totals, bet the under to miss the playoffs, all that stuff. The other thing is uh, their running backs got the ball like 400 times per season for like the last two or three years. Like, is that like sustainable? Like yeah. what happens if Derek, uh, Derek Henry isn't healthy? Like they are so stars and scrubs right now. And they have like two and a half stars. If one of those guys goes out. I don't, I don't know how this offense rolls. Eight down, two more to go. What's your last Hayden bring it to us. Well, Arthur Smith, leaves the Titans to go to the Falcons. So it is kind of wheels up for the Falcons. They obviously drafted Kyle Pitts fourth. Their defense is going to be a disaster. I think that Matt Ryan could have a bounce back season uh, if Julio Jones sticks around. Now that is the wild card. Now let's, let's talk about that real quick because Julio Jones is like, he's just in the, the trade talks nonstop. And the reason is the Falcons are like six or $7 million over the cap right now. They don't even have enough money to, sign their rookie free agents and like they they don't have like a full 53 man roster right now they haven't added basically anything to the defense so i think there's like a legit chance that julio jones does get traded after june 1st um and i think that they can they can the reason why it'd be after june 1st is because they can spread out his dead cap numbers over two seasons so we might see uh julio jones get moved but even if that's the case i think that kyle pitts Calvin Ridley, a bounce back season from Matt Ryan with Arthur Smith, and the offensive line is decent. I think this offense is ready to go, especially because they're going to be chasing points every single snap. Yeah, I guess you have to project it two different ways, right? Like with Julio and and yeah. without Julio. Because if it's without Julio, while we all love Calvin Ridley and Cal Pitts, the ceiling just gets astronomical. Yeah, yeah. With both of them, I mean, I mean, it, it gets higher. Without without him on the roster in terms of targets oh, yeah. and in oh, terms yeah. of volume and all that oh, kind yeah. of stuff. Oh yeah, uh, Matt Ryan though. I mean, I've been peeking in on these drafts with like Leone and Ian and Daigle and all that kind of stuff. Matt Ryan's kind of like the quarterback who's going the latest out of all those groups. It's 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 kind of stunning at times how he's still out there on the table. Like he's going after Joe Burrow, right around Matthew Stafford and Tom Brady. And in a lot of drafts I've seen lately, Hayden, he's going after Stafford and Brady, like just around Trevor Lawrence and Ryan Tannehill. With all those names that we just talked about, isn't it like too big for Matt Ryan to fail this year? I, I think so. Um, I think until, so too. Until they until they trade Julio Jones next month, then we have to readjust this conversation. But I think there's different ways to attack this in best ball. I think you can do stacks with Julio Jones, uh, with Matt Ryan. I also think it's very viable – to go a stack Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, and then Matt Ryan without Julio Jones. Because if, if Julio Jones gets traded, now you have the jackpot. And I think that's one of the advantages of drafting right now is you can take advantage of the uncertainty. Build a stack, a Falcon stack, 
without Julio Jones in it. Cause if he gets traded all of a sudden, now you're like Kyle Pitts, ADP is going to go crazy. Same with Calvin Ridley's. Um, so this is just like one of the advantages of drafting a little earlier. Mike Davis running back 24 on underdog ADP right now. Smash it. You mentioned win totals, by the way, I was looking this up while you were talking. Uh, the Titans win total, which you just told everyone to hammer the under is at nine right now at minus minus one ten. fair. 17 yeah, I, games. I would, yeah, I would say eight and a half is probably reasonable. Um, the one thing is just that division's really, really bad. Really yeah. bad. So that they could get bailed out. But I would say they're more likely to win eight games than 10. And the Falcons win total is at eight. Uh, I mean, that that defense is a mess. Obviously, it's just Grady Jarrett, my buddy. And and that's about it. And I, I still think their offensive line, again, despite you know adding pieces with the previous regime in the first round a couple of years ago, that's still a major question. But uh I mean, Matt Ryan has done it like in basically every single circumstance. He kind of is consistent at this point. And that pass catching trio along with Mike Davis in the backfield, who like what Todd Gurley did last year was scoring all those touchdowns and then his body breaking down on him, which we all expected to. I just can't get over how much Mike Davis is going to eat. And maybe I need to stop talking about it so much, Hayden, because I mean, I just can't keep saying it every single episode because that could significantly come back to bite me later on significantly. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I have a column. Um, uh, I'm going. I'm going. Hayden Winks, tape detective, as as a homage to Ace Ventura, my one of my favorite movies. That's a '90s reference for you, Josh. I'm. I'm sure you thought I didn't even know who Ace Ventura was. He's one I of mean, my favorites. A a reasonable conclusion for someone who doesn't know who Chris Chambers or Adelius Thomas is right. would be that Hayden Winks has never seen Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. I mean, that's probably how you know who Dan Marino is as a person. Is that film? I thought he was an actor. I thought Dan Marino was an actor. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, I, I'm going Hayden Wink's tape detective, and I just finished up my Mike Davis. Uh, I watched a bunch of his snaps from last year, and I'm going to have a column up, and I'll tell you whether I think Mike Davis is good or bad at football, and he's I think he's pretty good. Okay. Uh, we opened with the Cincinnati Bengals. The trains during this hour, Hayden Winks, we're not, we're not recording ever again in the 6 o'clock window because there have at least been 17 trains outside my window that I'm 12 feet through or away from. That even like Kyle Allen could have hit with a football. That's how close they are. Um, Cincinnati Bengals, we open the conversation. Let's close with it as well because what I think is most important when looking at your projections, what I always search for, is what's like the biggest difference between where a player is going and where you have them projected of like the, the early picks at each position. And it's Joe Mixon. He's right now an underdog being drafted as the running back 12. He's the running back six in your project. I mean, that's a massive Massive difference. An edge that everyone out there, especially if you're trying to win $1 million and $1 at Best Ball Mania 2, promo code Josh Norris. Uh, it's, it's, it's significant, Hayden. And why is it, to, in your opinion, like, again, I'm not telling you to answer for all the drafters out there and try to get in their perspective, but why do you love him so much as running back six? Well, I think there's uncertainty that a lot of people are scared of because he's missed time. And he's always performing below expectations um, and obviously everyone's like, oh, the offensive line sucks and all that stuff. And I, and I get that. Um, but they got rid of Giovanni Bernard. And I looked at the last three healthy games. Like, obviously, he missed, like, what, 10 games last year. But his first couple games, the Bengals were using Gio Bernard. And then, like, the last three games when Mixon was healthy, they got rid of Gio Bernard. And in those games, he averaged 22 carries and 5.7 targets per game. On the season as a whole last year, Joe Mixon was averaging 19.2 expected PPR points per game. That was RB6. 
Now, I think that the, the Bengals offense just might be a little bit better this year where they don't have to uh, pass the ball as much and there's going to be more goal line opportunities for Joe Mixon. And then after we we saw, um, after they got rid, rid of Giovanni Bernard, the OC, I believe, said, like, Joe Mixon, like, we don't want him leaving the field. So if you get Joe Mixon in an offense that is, like, top 10 in plays that can catch the ball and is, like, locked into the goal line role, like, I, I don't know how you can't, not like that. So like, I'm very curious when I like actually do my rankings where he's going to be, but I do think that he's like in like the RB one mix for sure. Like not the RB one, two borderline. I think he's like in the RB one mix period. Yeah. And not only did they get rid of Gio Bernard, they didn't bring in for a like for like replacement either. I mean, it's Samaji P Ryan and and Travion Williams. And I looked at the counting stats and that's as deep as I go sometimes Hayden in eight seasons on the Bengals with Gio Bernard. He'd had only two years with less than 50 targets on the team. All eight had at least 40 targets, okay? So that's a massive chunk of receiving work. And in comparison, in four seasons on the Cincinnati Bengals, three of Joe Mixon's years, he had less than 50 targets. So in that same span of time, he was getting far less work in the passing game than Gio Bernard. So if he stays on even 10%, 15% more than he did in previous years, especially on those times when it's third and long or third and short or second and long and gets those receiving opportunities, it's a massive boost. And we're not correcting enough for, for what Joe Mixon can be in this team. And just hopefully the team is better. And I, I also think when people look at, again, total points scored in the Bengals last year, they're looking at in the totality of the season, when you can really only think of it in those first 10 games, like just in between that Washington game, because after it, they weren't even an NFL team. Yeah, it was pathetic. I mean, it was it was beyond pathetic. And I, I think that Jamar Chase being implemented instead of AJ Green this year is kind of just a win, kind of not for T. Higgins, maybe, but like just for Joe Mixon and, and the offense in general. Like they're gonna score more points this year. I have them for three more points than they scored last last year per game. And that just means more more goal line opportunities. And, and like you mentioned, man, like I, I wonder how many people that follow our show. Um, could tell you the, the backup running backs for the Bengals, right? It's like so right. bad. It's so bad. Can I, am I allowed to say the name that you have in one spot over in your projections? Go for it. You have a one spot ahead of the big dog and Derrick Henry. I mean, that's bold, Hayden. I love that so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I ha- I'm kind of concerned with Derrick Henry holding up behind like an offense. I just don't think it's going to be as good. So, um, I don't like it. I don't think I would rank Joe Mixon ahead of Derrick Henry, but I don't. I want to be over the field on Joe Mixon, like for sure. Yeah. Just period. According to ADP on underdog right now, he's going after Austin Eckler, after Nick Chubb, after Cam Akers, after Aaron Jones, and you have him ahead of every single one of your, those names in, in your projections. I love it. I'll go, I'll go bold take Joe Mixon over Jonathan Taylor this year. Love it so much. I'm excited. Again, these were 10, player slash team projections that if you come out on the right side of um, this week, you know, in 12 weeks, you're basically going to win your fantasy league because these all create a massive edge for you. And again, these are going to be updated. We're going to be talking about so many of these same topics and plenty of others throughout the summer when more news, more information rolls in, injuries, depth charts, all that good stuff. Uh, We'll be back here on Thursday for another show live on Wednesday. We film a day ahead on the YouTube channel. Go and search for it. Underdog Fantasy. We're live right now with many wonderful people tuning in. So go subscribe. Underdog Fantasy. We stream there on Mondays and Wednesdays in a draft during midweek. And then a couple weeks, we're going to have a set schedule. 
but more on that later. Hayden, good stuff, man. Projections, let's go. Projections, let's go. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.